0: This is Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can bring up anything. Toll-free number for you, 800-259-9231. That is the packet 8 toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. As we launch into hour number one of the program, It's again here with you. Oh, I should turn your microphone on. How am I? How about that? Let's That's not that. fair. You've got all the control, all the mic. We've had all kinds things. of mic troubles over uh, the past couple days. So then, um, we're talking about all kinds of things tonight. Your calls are the primary issue, though. If you make them at 800 259 9231, you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there are completely free. Now, the other day, about a week ago, I got an email just out of the blue. Alerting me to a, a particular news item in regards to the Columbine game. Now, perhaps you've never heard of the Columbine game, Mark. Had you heard of the Columbine game until just recently?
1: No, I haven't heard it. I really don't know anything about it. I would assume that it's a uh, online or computer type game that uh, is about you know the Columbine uh, killings that went on. Yes,
0: it is the uh, super, I believe it is the Super Columbine RPG. And uh, it made some news when it originally came out. We're going to talk about that because, as it turns out, the author of the Columbine game not only is he a newsmaker and made international press, but he's also a listener to Free Talk Live, and we've got him on the line right now. His name is Danny Ladone. Was it? Is it Ladone? It's
2: Ladone. Ladone.
0: All right, I got to get that right. Danny Ladone, the programmer behind the it's it's the Super Columbine RPG, correct? It's
3: called Super Columbine Massacre RPG. That's
0: correct. Super Columbine Massacre RPG. And I don't even know where we should start with this, Danny, because you're back in the news recently because of a, uh, I guess, some sort of a competition, a film competition that you've been kicked out of. And I guess. Yeah,
3: so we can start at any point you'd like, Ian. We can with that or we can start back with uh, with the beginning I think we start. should
0: go back to the beginning and and start out and talk about because right before we went on the air I was talking with you on the phone and you mentioned to me that initially the game the the Columbine super Columbine massacre RPG was published anonymously now you've essentially come out as the uh, the individual behind the game What's uh, how did all of this start what inspired you to create this game and what was the initial response that uh, that came out of it all
3: Sure. All right, Mark, are you listening? Because I Uh, want to break it down for you.
1: I'm listening. uh, Tell me what the game's like, too.
3: Sure, sure. Okay. So, uh, in, I'd say, the fall of 2004, I found this software that I could use to make my very own video game. Mm -hmm. I'm not a game maker. My background is in filmmaking. I have a degree in filmmaking, and that's what I do with my business. But uh, when I found this software to make my own game, I thought, well, if I can make a game about anything, what do I want to make a game about? Now, I was a sophomore in high school in Colorado when the shooting at Columbine occurred, and this was just uh, an issue that was really important to me because, you know, I listened to the same kind of music as the shooters, I played the same video games, and these were the kinds of things that were vilified and scapegoated in the wake of the shooting as being causes for why they did what they did. So I thought, well, what I could do is, cast the player as the main characters in the game, as the shooters, and try and give a much more detailed history of what it is that happened. So I I give a lot of backstory about what it was like for the boys growing up. I try to point to things that I think might be the real causes, like uh, being bullied in school, just feeling really angry and alienated, Mm -hmm. uh, things like that, that I feel like really go back to the root causes rather than... They listened to Marilyn Manson, or they played Doom, these kinds of things. Right, because uh, uh, like sorry, you,
0: Danny, I also um, was a, a huge fan of Doom uh, when it came out. You were more of a death metal k- kid, though. No, I don't know. Well, I the... wouldn't
3: say I was a death metal kid, but I, I had my uh, I had my Rammstein on from time to time.
0: I'm not sure what Rammstein. It's is. a uh, German metal band, essentially. I see. All right. So um... so
3: anyway, I I created this game over about six months of research... I, I tried to make the game as, as sort of fact-based as possible. Almost all the dialogue in the game are uh, first-hand accounts from the diaries and uh, videotapes that the boys made um, to try and really give people some insight and not to just make something that was sort of this cheap five-minute joke. The game takes about five hours to play all the way through. Um, it's a good-sized and game. It's on the internet.
0: Now, before you go right. on, i got to say I did play um, some of the game. I played up through the um, – essentially the, it, to, there's two major portions to the game, as, as I understand it at least. Um, right. There's the Columbine recreation portion where you're essentially going into the school and wiping it out. Um, and then there's a point at which you commit suicide in the game, as the, the boys did in real life. And then you go to hell and you fight demons, and that's where the game actually gets really challenging, and I started to get my butt kicked. And so right. at, at that point, I, I just didn't have time to go back and, and try to continue to play. But it's actually well, a pretty viewers challenging viewers game.
3: Curious, uh, for viewers who are curious, you can go to ColumbineGame.com and download the game. If you're not really a gamer, or you have a Mac instead of a PC, you can go to Google Video, type in Super Columbine Massacre RPG, you can find a full run through of the game
2: so oh, wow. you can
3: actually get an idea of what's going on. Just watch I did it. that for the press because a lot of the press are not really game savvy, but they wanted to know what it was about. So I videotaped myself playing through the whole game and said, okay, you can go here.
1: Now um I I'm glad that you sent the, uh, the the shooters to hell afterwards. But um and and I you know, I've read plenty of books that are in the first person of of a bad guy. But somehow it disturbs me the whole idea of a game in the first person of a bad guy, especially a real life bad guy that, you know, it's not a guy. first person shooter. Well, even it's, it's an RPG. But it's told from the point of view of these people, right? I mean, it's. Yes, that you, you, are,
0: are, you are Dylan and uh, the other guy. What's, the other. What are their names? Eric. Dylan Eric. and Eric. Eric and Dylan. Right. So, right. so what do you uh, have to say I that? I
3: think Mark's reaction is, is perfectly fine. I didn't make this game so that you could have fun for several hours. I made this game to. Uh, challenge and disturb people. I made this game because events like Columbine should be uncomfortable. They should be disturbing. And if you're watching a documentary about a school shooting, you're not doing it feeling particularly good. Uh, I think the same can be said for this game.
0: Gotcha. I I found it uh, very interesting, and I, 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 I found myself asking myself as I was playing it, was this dialogue actually coming from the boys? And I had the feeling that it was. I don't feel like you took too many liberties uh, with the dialogue in the game. How many liberties would you say you did take as far as creativity, uh, creative? Right,
3: right. That's, a, that's a challenge that I think is, is facing anyone who makes a game or a film. Uh, when possible, I try to include their first-person account. There are some things like, the, for example, the playability of the game, the interactivity. Um, I chose to allow the player to decide how many people that they would kill, rather than trying to strictly follow the narrative of where they went in the school as best right. as authorities can determine. So some of it does allow for, or the, the entire health sequence, that's just a conjecture on my part as, as sort of a, a commentary as such.
0: Certainly. In fact, uh, there's, a, there's a point in the game where you can just kill yourself and not go on, but or you can not kill yourself and just wipe out the entire school. And then you can go right. back and you can kill yourself. I decided to kill every last person in the in the school when I And then right. go to hell. <laughs> yeah, well you can't avoid going to hell. I mean you're gonna go right. to hell either yeah, way. Yeah,
3: the irony is that uh if you kill enough kids in the school, you'll develop the experience points to actually survive the demons in hell, um which which means that if you want to make it in hell I guess you have to be really bad. <laughs> That's one suggestion someone's made. <laughs>
1: Well, um, it's just your interpretation of what hell might be like, but I'm I'm glad right, they went there course. nonetheless.
0: Now with uh, I think complete with um, sprites from the original Doom, so you actually get to fi- to uh, battle the Doom demons in this uh, Super Columbine Massacre RPG game. It's kind of it's right. kind of fun. Like
3: I, I felt like if Doom was their favorite video game and they were going to hell, and the game Doom was set in hell, it would only be logical that they would end up battling all the monsters from the game Doom in hell.
0: So you created this game. It was a six-month process. You did research. Right. You pulled up some uh, some I guess some old video files of theirs, some audio of theirs, or some some of their writings, right. and uh, and you based a lot of the game off of that. And you can tell that when you're actually playing the game, it doesn't feel right. like it was made up. It feels like there was a lot of original uh, content as far as from the, the the boys themselves. And you released the game anonymously online. How right. soon was it before someone picked up on this? Because this did make international news when it originally came out. Right. I remember that. I right. remember that.
3: Well, the game was released in April of 2005. Um, my plans for the game, reporters sometimes ask, what were your plans for the game? Well, my plans for the game were to put it on the Internet, moderate a discussion forum that's attached to the website where people can talk about school shootings, video games, and related issues, and go on
2: with my life.
0: All right, we're going to keep... Uh, well, I want to continue. If you'll hang works. on, Danny, we're going to bring you back. Hang on. 800-259-9231 if you've got a question for Danny, the programmer of the Super Columbine Massacre RPG. We'll be back with more of him uh, in a moment. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You can bring up anything toll-free. 800-259-9231. The packet, 8.net. Toll-free live for you. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are completely free, and that does include the live streams. There's a broadband version of the show and a dial-up version there waiting for you. Totally free, free freetalklive.com. And what's your liberty issue? Is it the war on drugs? Well, register now for the February 2007 New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Speakers include Jack Cole, the Executive Director of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, as well as Rob Campia, Executive Director of the Marijuana Policy Project, and New Hampshire residents who are working to end the war on drugs. freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. To get more information, that's freestateproject.org. Dot .org slash Liberty Forum, as we go back to the Newsmaker line. <laughs> it's uh, Danny LaDonna, Le- and he is the programmer of Super Columbine Massacre RPG, a game that was released, uh, when was it, a few years ago now, Danny?
3: Yeah, it was April 2005. So we're going on two years almost.
0: Okay, so a couple years ago you came out uh, anonymously on the Internet and released uh, the Super Columbine Massacre RPG, and it's essentially a simulation, um, kind of a take on real life where you you actually took some, some of the uh, Dylan and Eric's, their actual writings, some of the things that they had actually said before the shootings. You worked those elements into the game. You wanted to, as I understand it, you wanted to portray more of the story, more than you might necessarily get in the news media, more of uh, the motivations behind the uh, the killings and essentially force some people to uh, to look in the mirror as you put it on, on your particular website. At uh, The website is ColumbineGame.com. That's ColumbineGame.com. And that's where you can download the game, you can install it on in your computer, and you can try it for yourself, which, which I have done. And you came out with a game in 2005. You did it anonymously. Did you publish it um, to begin with on your own website at ColumbineGame.com? Right. I
3: mean, I bought the website specifically for that purpose.
0: And how did you publicize it? How did you get it out there? How did you get it into people's hands?
3: Right. This is an important issue, I think. Uh, I didn't do any of those things. I didn't do this to make money because it's a free download. I didn't do this to be famous because I was anonymous. Mm-hmm. I really just wanted to put this alternative perspective on the Internet for anyone to go find and, and really just see what discussions it evoked. So uh, I didn't do any promotion of the site which is why for over a year it was a very low-profile site that got probably 10,000 downloads of the game in the entire year, that it was up until April of 2006.
0: How did people find it? I mean, you just put words, keywords on the site, or did you try to uh, pull, at least pub- publicize it in some places?
3: Um, what I did is I sent, a, uh, I sent a URL for the game to all of my immediate friends that I thought were like-minded, and I said if you think that anyone would be interested in this, forward this on. Uh, And that was basically all I did. Uh, And the rest of it really came out of, you know, independent game publishing sites and Mm -hmm. uh, these kinds of interest groups online, finding the game, posting it on their site, and uh, the Internet is sort of exponential that
0: way. It is indeed. Now, when was the first real wave of publicity that came in? You said it was about a year just people right. downloading it here and there. When did you? When could you tell that something had happened?
3: Well, in April of 2006, I got an email from uh, a writer who writes for the Rocky Mountain News, and he also writes his own um, as part of this gaming blog called Kotaku. And he said, I really want to do an interview with you. And uh, from that point on, the game became much more publicized. Um, and, you know, once it hit the print media and then the AP found out about it, then there were stories in the Washington Post and all these other uh, papers by May of 2006.
0: Hmm. And how did your uh, how did your website hits go up after all that press?
3: Oh, I mean, I got, you know, the first year I got 10,000 downloads. In that week that it became a, a national story, I got another 30,000 downloads, uh, at which point my server crashed. Yeah, i It was never designed to, to have that kind of bandwidth. And so at that point, I... Uh, I really had to reconsider if and how I was still going to distribute the game, which was also when I sort of came forward as a public figure because there was this active uh, sort of effort to ferret out my identity anyway, and I wanted to be the I wanted the story to be about the content of the game, not who you were. Made it
0: right. That makes sense. Now I can only imagine the sort of negative responses that uh, the the more thoughtless of Americans would have uh, emailed you with, maybe even called you with if they managed to find your phone number. What's, uh, at, at what point in this process did the, the real hate start rolling in, if you got any? I presume you did.
3: Right, right, I, I did. I, I would say, though, in their defense, that there are some pretty thoughtful Americans who oppose the game as well. I mean, you can certainly have an informed opinion and disagree with me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I got everything from requests for autographs to death threats. Um, and that was immediately upon the game's uh, national publication. And so the months of May and June um, were—it was like this full-time job that I was doing in addition to the rest of my life, mm. trying to field all these press requests and uh, you know doing some things to. I mean, if anyone puts your name in a search engine, they can find out a lot about you. So sure. It's a matter of you know going back through and being aware of who could find out what about me and all these things. Uh, that arose as a result of this game.
0: So, what are some of the? I mean, of all the press attention that you've gotten, what are uh, some of the standout moments for you?
3: Well, the standout moments include actually getting to know one of the survivors of the Columbine shooting. Really? Who? Uh, right? Who at first was a little bit unsure of of the game, and then you know, after we talked to more, he actually was pretty vocally supportive of the game as a as a possibly. Um, good way to look at and understand the shooting
0: excellent and he got in touch with you
3: he got in well uh he was quoted in another um uh, because he's a denver resident. He was quoted in another publication about the game reacting to it uh you know he's paralyzed from the chest down oh wow um as a result of the shooting, but he's a gamer, so you know he was interested in what this thing was mm-hmm. so he played it and he thought that it could have some benefit. he said parts of it do felt really strange to him, understandably. Sure. Um, but that he thought that uh, that this had some value in terms of understanding why the shooting occurred. And so it was after that that I got in touch with him and said, hey, you know, because I, I really try to depersonalize what the press does to people in terms of like, oh, this is the person that's uh, spoken out against the game, so they must be adversaries, let's quote them against each other. But mm-hmm. really I want to try and um, sort of uh, build a more... Um, comprehensive understanding between other people. That was one of the goals of
0: the game. Interesting, and uh, and and that's that's fascinating that you were able to reach out and and connect with one of the survivors like that. I think that's uh, that's amazing, and it's it's also uh, interesting that he was supportive of uh, the the whole process. He was supportive of the game, and I think that's kind of valuable to you if the press comes, uh, you know, a hostile member of the press comes to you and says, "Well, this game is just trash." Well, you could say, "Well, that's not what one of the survivors of Columbine thinks." Right, I mean, it. certainly
3: there are a lot, I don't want to paint the impression that everyone in uh, in the Columbine shooting that survived, uh, you know, vocally supports this game. I've only heard from about three people that are actively engaged with the press, and some of them say that this game trivializes the event and glorifies the shooting. Sure. I've responded in kind by saying that, uh, you know, you know, Ian, from playing the game, that if you commit suicide, it actually shows you the crime scene photos of the boy's, you
0: know, dead in their own yeah, blood. it was uh, it was pretty grisly. I sort of expected that to happen, but it still caught me by surprise in, in, in a way. Danny, hang on. I want to bring you back if you got time, all right? Sure. Hang on. 800 259 If you've got a question for the programmer, the man behind the Super Columbine Massacre RPG, we've got him on the line. He uh, not only is an international newsmaker, but he also happens to be a Free Talk Live listener to boot. It's uh, Danny Ladone. We're going to be back with him in moments. Your calls as well. This is your show, Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark? 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All the features, we give them away, and that does include the listener map. Over 1,700 of our listeners from around the world have added themselves to the listener map. You can, too, or just scroll around and see who else is a listener of the show. Map.freetalklive.com to experience that feature. That's map.freetalklive.com. Com. And do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections? Well, SACL CAI does collections, and they do it in a whole new way. Sekel's employees are trained in resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, but you want to keep your clients, too. Sekel CAI. Check out their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359. That's 800-544-6359. Do business with businesses. That's support free talk live as we go back to Danny Ladone. He is the programmer, the man behind Super Columbine Massacre RPG. It's a game that was released in two thousand and five to Little Fanfare, a kind of a soft, quiet release, and then all of a sudden in mid or early to mid two thousand six the news got wind of it and it blew up. And we've sort of just been following the story behind Super Columbine Massacre RPG, and and what the motivations were, what the press's response were, the response actually from some of the uh, the victims, the survivors of the Columbine massacre, and that's where we've come uh, so far here. Danny, are you still with us? I'm still with you, Ian. Great. Your uh, your website is ColumbineGame.com for anyone. That wants to uh, to give the game a try. That's columbinegame.com. dot com. You actually have a discussion uh, discussion board there. What are some of the other features on the on the site?
3: Well, the site also features a trailer that I cut for the game for uh, the Slam Dance Film Festival, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, it has some screenshots of the game to give people an idea of what's in it. Um, and uh, yeah, on the discussion forum, there's lots of different topics about uh, video games, school shootings,
4: things like that.
0: So. I, we might as well jump into the uh, this film contest before we run out of time and don't actually get to cover it. You said right. you've got a short film. I actually took the time to watch it. It was the first taste that I had actually gotten of the game before I downloaded and played it. And you entered the... It's essentially like a trailer almost uh, for the game in a way.
3: Yeah, let me let me correct you there. Uh, the trailer was cut for the festival to help publicize the game, but the Slamdance Film Festival for three years now has had what's called a guerrilla game maker competition. Okay. that the game itself could be entered into this competition.
0: So even though it's a film festival, games, there is a a subcategory for games.
3: They're recognizing a larger, um, sort of burgeoning, independent game scene, and they wanted to allow developers to showcase their work there. Got it. Um, But to make it clear, I really did not think about submitting my game to their festival because... Uh, well, I didn't want to pay the entry fee just to have them throw the game in the trash can, Mm -hmm. which is what I expected them to do, until I got an email from the festival director saying, you know, we really want your game to be at our festival. We really think that it's doing something for gaming, and we would be honored to have you submit it. Hmm. And at that point, I said, well, there's no reason not to, uh, which I did.
0: Did they waive the entry fee, or did you have to pay
3: that? I paid the entry fee. Um, That was fine. I, I guess I just did so knowing that they'd actually more or less commissioned the game and that it was, it was something that would be worth my while to look into.
0: I see. So what well, ended up happening?
3: Months, well, a couple of months went by. The game was announced as a finalist, which surprised me less because I thought if they wanted this game, surely they would want it to be a part of the festival. Mm-hmm. It's not like this is a sort of conventional video game that has a lot of competition. There's not much out there like this. Um, we can get to what is out there like that in a bit if you'd like. But basically, um, the game was listed as a finalist, and for several months I was making preparations to go to the festival. And last week, the day before I emailed you, um, I learned that the game had been pulled from the finalist programming for the Guerrilla Game Maker competition at Slamdance.
0: Now, that was what um, actually uh, propelled you back into the news. There was news around the Internet uh, also just on a few different – I don't know if the AP covered it, but it was definitely out there. That... I spoke
3: with the AP today, so I'm sure you'll be seeing it in that way pretty soon.
0: I see. So when is the actual finals? Uh, how far are we out from the, from the competition?
3: Yeah, the film festival starts next week, actually. So, I see. Um, so this is know, still we're fresh news. About this less is. Than a week's time.
0: Right, this is still going on. So they actually. Did they call you up to tell you you were dropped, or how did you find out?
3: Yeah. Yeah. They, well, I got an email from the game festival director saying, you know, Danny, we need to talk. And it's not <laughs> as though we hadn't been talking, so I mm-hmm. knew he wasn't letting me know that they misspelled my name in the program. Right. Uh, it was because the game had been pulled, and I then spoke to the president of the festival. Uh, that evening, and I, I've been in contact with them since then as as all of this unfolds.
0: That's a real shame. What was it that actually propelled them to remove the game?
3: Well, the reason seems to be a moving target. At first, I was under the impression that there were sponsors for the festival that you know had considered pulling out of the festival mm. and that the long-term viability of the festival was at stake. Um, later, several of the sponsors came forward saying, no, we didn't say anything of that nature. And in fact, one of the sponsors has since pulled sponsorship for having this game pulled from the program. Interesting. Um, right. What and sponsor was that? that there, were about 14, there were about 14 developers who were listed as finalists. Uh, an additional six of them, aside from mine, are now out of the competition. They pulled their games out in protest because they felt strongly about my game staying in the competition.
2: Wow, that's fantastic. Now, what was
1: the sponsor that pulled out?
3: Uh, the sponsor that pulled out was USC's media division. Um, USC has a has a game development um, program there, okay. and their students have been consistently submitting, and the, the school has been sponsoring it. But apparently, no more.
0: So, now where do we stand with the uh, this uh, this comp uh, this competition, Slam Dance 2007? Is there a chance that you're going to be reinstated, or is it just going to go without you and without those other guys that pulled their games?
3: The game is definitely not being reinstated. It's not being reinstated because there are too many concerns Slam Slamdance about um, some legal implications that would be involved if they screened the game. Um, because we live in a country that's uh, quite litigious and uh, there's a lot of civil lawsuits all the time, um, an organization of Slamdance's visibility could be subjected to that kind of uh, court procedures for screening this game should something happen down the line that could be alleged to be related to this you know, video game?
1: They don't have much as far as uh, thick skin goes. I mean, if we were, if if Ian and I were scared about uh, litigiousness, we wouldn't even get on the air every night. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, we say some really radical stuff on on America's airwaves, and uh, somehow or another, we've man, managed to make it three or four years or something. I don't know since two thousand three and. Um,
2: Yes. Right,
3: right. So, you know, I, I can't speak on their behalf. I, I can say that it's problematic to market yourself as a subversive alternative film festival yeah. and having a guerrilla game maker competition unless you're serious about courting and defending guerrilla games. Right. It doesn't sound oh, yeah.
1: like they're very serious about that. Wow. That's,
3: uh, well, that's incredible. Uh, let me add, though, in their defense, what they're trying to do in the long term is create a festival that will support um, gaming and independent game development it may just be that the world is not ready for a columbine game yet and it may take a few years they uh, don't
1: know that before. they just decided that i mean i'm, I'm right. not saying that they're That's not true. right they just don't know
3: right they don't know uh none of us know really this is new territory for all of us
0: this well is if the they, well now if the world's 13
3: not re- years that anything has been pulled out of slam dance.
0: if they if uh if the world's not ready for a columbine game when is it ever going to be ready i mean there're always going to be oversensitive people that are going to find it offensive. I mean, they say that uh, when it comes to a tragic event, you're not supposed to make jokes about it until a certain period of time has passed. Well, it's been nearly what are we up to? Almost 10 years, I think, since right. uh, since Columbine actually occurred. You now, at what point does it become appropriate to start discussing it and to have a, a game about it? I think it's appropriate now, and I think that uh, I think it's a shame that they pulled your game from this. And uh, I hope, you know, I wish you. Th- the best of luck in continuing to uh, promote the game. I don't know what will continue to happen here. Have you noticed another boost in publicity since this recent uh, event?
3: Yeah, this game has more or less been fueled from uh, the controversy from the start. The, the game as currently has been downloaded uh, in my estimation over 300,000 times.
2: Wow, that's it's
0: quite an accomplishment. It's
3: available on mirror sites available on programs so do you, What do you do, do
0: for like a living? Do away. you program for a living or is this just something you did for fun?
3: No, 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 let me stress it. I am I am the complete amateur of all game designers. I use software that pre-existed to make this game because it's like the drag-and-drop of video games. So I,
0: got I got you. Games. Danny, hang uh, on. We're going to come back with uh, more. If you got a question for Danny Ladone, he is the uh, programmer of Super Columbine Massacre RPG. Call in now. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231. The Packet 8. Toll free line for you, Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site, we give them away. You get them for free, freetalklive.com. Though we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by, for instance, becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com and get signed up like over 300 of our listeners have already done for as little as 3 bucks a month. Now, you know the website's for free, so this is above and beyond all that. This is just for you to show your support ...for Free Talk Live. Because what we do with the money is we take it in and we turn it around... ...into promoting the show. Getting Free Talk Live on more radio stations... ...getting on more people's internet connections... ...and thereby spreading the message of freedom and liberty as far and as wide as possible. So that's valuable to you. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com to learn more about the AMP program. That is amp.freetalklive.com. As we go back to the AMP... Well, he's on our uh, newsmaker line, actually. It's Danny Lidane, and uh, he is the programmer behind Super Columbine Massacre RPG. Though and and this is a game that has made international news as it turns out, Danny, you emailed me out of the blue, and you're a listener of the show, which I think is awesome. So we not only do we have uh not only do we have our regular listeners out there, but amongst them are international newsmakers. And you certainly didn't create this game intending to make international news, but it just sort of blew up um unexpectedly and now here you are. You had the game entered into a uh, a competition recently where they decided at the last minute to yank your game. It was a finalist. Then they pulled you out of the competition, which actually ensured that your game got more press than maybe it would have had they just let you, uh, let you stay in the competition. And at this point, you were just beginning to tell us that you weren't actually the programmer behind the game. You used a uh, kind of a, a construction set, essentially, right?
3: Well, yeah, let me be clear. I was the programmer of the game. There was no one else that made this game happen. But there's a a free downloadable program called RPG Maker that basically, like, you can use uh, the Windows operating system as opposed to doing all your own code to run your computer. This helps you write your own code for your own video game.
0: Got it. So it sort of made it a lot easier. You didn't actually have to know the programming language itself. You sort of drag and drop as you described it, right?
3: Definitely. It's like trying to use the Internet without a web browser. There were certainly people that could do it, but until you had a web browser, a lot of people wouldn't know how.
0: Got it. Understood. So we've covered uh, where the game co- uh, came from. We've covered uh, what has uh, happened, the, the press explosion, the slam dance ejecting you from the competition. What do you think's coming next for Super Columbine Massacre RPG? Do you see anything in the right. future?
3: You know, a lot of people ask me, what are your plans for the game? I said, well, my plans for the game was to re- release it on the Internet and go about my life. Um, that worked for about a year, but it doesn't work anymore. So the real question has become, what are the game's plans for me? <laughs> I feel like there are certainly some things that I want to do now. Uh, so I'm working on a documentary film uh, because that's what I actually do professionally. You would asked uh-huh. that earlier. Uh, I'm a filmmaker, and I run my own video production business. Um, But I I thought, you know, this story fell in my lap, and I thought, what a good subject for a movie, because there's just been, you know, wave after wave of discussion, debate, and controversy.
0: Wait a minute, hold on, wait. The movie's going to be about the game or about uh, Columbine?
3: The movie is going to be about the issues that the game raises. The movie is going to be about video games as a form of art, about video games with an agenda, and uh, about how all this happens in the 21st century where it's all on the Internet.
0: Interesting. Now, can you actually make money off of documentaries?
3: Uh, I may be able to. I certainly have enough ways to make money now, even though I'm doing all this pro bono work like this game. Um, I feel like if this is a story in the news, you know, month in, month out for different reasons, it's clearly something that people are interested in to the extent that they would want to learn more about it.
0: Absolutely, and perhaps once you release your—I don't know if you have very, uh, very many contacts in the media. I presume you've probably built up a few by this point. Um, right. S- since you've got some contacts now, maybe when you release your film, you can get in touch with the the people that you know in the media, and they may uh, pick it up as a story, which could be a good right. thing. Right.
3: And when I when I release the film, I may just submit it to slam dance and see what they do with it.
0: <laughs> Right on. Well, very cool. So, if uh if listeners want to get in touch with you, it, there is an email link on your website, correct?
3: Right. You got it com. I mean, now that now that it's public, uh even if it means staying up a couple of extra hours each night, I do try to respond to emails, press inquiries, things like that because the whole project, I think, is is really interesting to me and I want to keep it going in new ways.
0: Well, I understand how a lot of email it's it can be really frustrating at times. Do you have just a tremendous amount? I mean, how many emails a day are you getting?
3: Um, I would say that I've gotten more hate mail in in one day than most people get in their life.
0: I think you're probably um, right. I mean, we haven't even really gotten death threats yet.
1: They tell us our right. shows crappy and uh, bush league, but that's really uh, that's really it.
0: Yeah.
3: Right. Well, I will say that uh, you know, I I tend to think that despite all of the criticism that it's gotten there is some value in just getting a culture to talk about something that they would just as soon put under the rug and forget.
0: I agree. Absolutely. People were really disturbed by the the Columbine incident, and it's easy. I mean, it's easier to just build up a big wall and just leave it there, and you're essentially um, bringing it back. You're sort of forcing it back in a lot of ways uh, to to people's front burner, and you're, uh, you're forcing them to address the, the issues that I think need to be addressed. And I, I remember after the Columbine incident, the most... I think the the most interesting piece of press that I saw come out about it was actually from The Onion. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it, theonion.com. It's a great right. satirical newspaper and the headline of the article was like a year after a couple of years after Columbine. The headline of the article was Columbine jocks resume bullying. <laughs> and it was just the it was the funniest and it was also at the same time a pretty sad article because well in the the history of the two guys, uh, Dylan and Eric, was some being pushed around by some of the jocks and the you know the big guys at the high school and being belittled and and made fun of. And so the article was suggesting that well now everything feels like it's back to normal, so the Columbine jocks can start pushing people around again and and uh, right. nev- inevitably maybe it's, piss some more people off.
3: It's funny that you'd mention that because actually I got an anonymous email from someone claiming to be at Columbine High School today. Saying that the culture is much the same as it was, and it wouldn't surprise this person if there was such a shooting again at a school like Columbine. Mm. Certainly, these things aren't going away until we look at them realistically. And the, you know, the fact is, I could have written a book about Columbine. I could have, uh, you know, posted some um, internet blog about it. But I, I, I wanted to face the fact that young people today um, play video games and they use the internet. And if I wanted to reach people in a new and different way, perhaps making a video game would be a way to do it.
0: And yes, young people do play video games, and the vast majority, the super majority, 99.99% of them, will never do anything violent. And as, right. you, as you pointed out, you were the sa- you were into the, some of the same um, cultural phenomenon that they were. You listened to some of the same music. You played right. some of the same video games, but you didn't pick up a, a rifle. And, and I was uh, victimized a, a few times when I was in in, uh, in school. Well, I think everybody you know, was reason, probably picked And
3: up. the reason I started listening to your show is because I was doing a search online about some articles and interviews by Jack Thompson, ah. and I came across your show that way. Um, I think that there's a real debate that needs to be won in our culture about what video games are and what video games aren't. And if video games really are murder simulators that compel kids to go out and start shooting, you know, half of America plays video games. If this were at all true, we would have blood in the streets every day, all day, and modern society would just collapse. But that's not
0: the case. I totally agree with you, but I don't think anybody's ever going to look that closely at it. I think that what you're going to see is what we've been talking about over the last year, and that is that the politicians... I know Hillary Clinton, I think she has commissioned the Centers for Disease Control to do a $90 million study on whether or not video games influence behavior. And, of course, since it's a government study, they're going to come back with the numbers that the government's looking for, and that is that, well, yes, video games do influence uh, young people's behavior. And they're going right. to use that it's a very as... very
3: worrisome issue, Ian. And yep. I think that uh, every election cycle we see both major parties racing to the bottom to try and condemn video games the hardest even games that they themselves have never heard of or played. And I think that uh, I do disagree with you that this is always going to be like this, because I can, I can not remember, but I can certainly recall historically an era where jazz music was to believe the, the, the cause of all the sexual infidelity or Elvis. I mean, every generation has its scapegoat. I feel like because video games are mine, I have the opportunity to stand up and defend them in, in an important way.
0: I agree with you, and I see where you're coming from. And they certainly didn't ban jazz music. Um, but it seems like as we go on in time, government becomes more intrusive and more oppressive. And it doesn't seem like it's too far off that the government will decide to ban certain types of video games. That I, I mean,
3: we'll have to see. I, I think that that possibility definitely exists, and I would really like you know anyone who votes, anyone who plays video games, to, to really wake up and see this as an issue of importance, because right now, you know, both political parties are competing to uh, call for Grand Theft Auto to be... Dead yep,
0: backwards. they sure are. And they're trying to they are trying to all position themselves as a friends of the family and doing the right thing for America, when in fact banning video games is just going to create another prohibited product for the black market to handle. It's not going to make right, violence go away. and that's just
3: away. it. You know, this video game didn't go through some formalized process. Right. The fact is, games like this will happen because the Internet is a decentralized means of distribution.
0: Danny Ladone, we appreciate having welcome. you on the show, my man. We are out of time. More on the way. Hour 2 is coming up. It's Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off hour number two, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free. 800-259-9231 is the packet eight toll-free line. That's 1-800-259-9231, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features, we give them away. Those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you for access to their website. We do it for free, freetalklive.com. we got to go to the phones, to the fun. Let's talk to Nick in New Hampshire you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hello, Nick. Nick? Nick going at once. I'm Nick here. in New Hampshire. I'm here. There Hello. you are. What's on your mind, Nick?
5: Um, I just want to talk about the uh the first round of presidential primary debates.
2: Because okay. they're actually
5: going to be in Lebanon, New Hampshire. All right. Um April fourth and fifth. I'm not sure which night is which, but they're doing the Republican and the Democratic debates. And uh I was just hoping, I know there are a number of listeners in New Hampshire and nearby states, and I just wanted to get the word out on that.
0: Wait a minute, when it, wait, when does the primary happen? I thought it happened in 2008. It happens in it's, 2007?
5: This, well, you moved here relatively recently, but yeah, it's been getting earlier every election cycle.
0: But so yeah, wait.
5: it's not till November of 2008.
0: Oh, okay, but not The debates till...
5: start in April of this year.
0: Wait a minute, the elections in November of 2008... The, yep. Okay, so this is the debate, but when's the actual primary happen?
5: Um,
0: is that that's in 2008, right? Has to be. It is. Okay, that's what I thought. Now,
1: um, yeah. Now, now, Nick, uh, so they're having the debates. I mean, the field must be huge of candidates at this point um, in the uh, in the election. I mean, it's got to be. I don't know. There must be ten or fifteen in each party. I mean, how are they going to handle these debates?
5: Um, I'm not sure. It's. Uh, Manchester Union leader and WMUR um, are putting it on. They probably have their own criteria, um, but a lot of the candidates in the field haven't even really announced that they're officially campaigning. Right. So basically by April we'll know who's actually in the race and who was just giving it a passing thought.
1: Who was thinking about it?
0: So, um, they're going to actually have the debates of the Democrats and the Republicans at the same place?
5: Um, Yes, but on two different nights. One's going to be on April 4th, and the next one's going to be the next night on April 5th.
0: So, now, Mark, last night at the end of the show, breaking news, you announced uh, that Ron Paul... Is considering running for president right, in 2008.
1: The, the libertarian world is all a twitter with uh, Ron Paul. Um, it looks like he might be running uh, as a Republican. And right, and, uh, quite quite frankly, I'm hoping it's uh, Obama against uh, Paul oh, in the 2008 election with uh, Stanhope, uh, you know, backing up the libertarians.
0: Yeah, I wonder what the libertarian party's response to this is going to be. I mean, Ron Paul, who at one time ran for president as a libertarian now running as a as a republican a pro liberty republican to be the first pro liberty candidate they've fielded in a long time uh but i wonder what the libertarian party's response is going to be nick do you have any idea um i don't
5: i'm not if they ran ron paul i have a feeling they might throw their support with a cross nomination to Ron Paul,
0: I think that would be the smartest thing for them to do. Personally, and uh, Nick, thank you for the uh, for your time as always. We appreciate hearing from you, sir. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. And the Libertarian Party, the Libertarian Party has uh, just been really ineffective over the last thirty five years, and I think that it needs to get to the point where the Libertarians, those who are the party um, members and who align themselves with the party. I think they really need to shift their perspective towards doing whatever it takes to advance liberty in in America. And if Ron Paul, by some miracle, gets the nomination from the Republican Party, then I think that absolutely the Libertarians should throw their weight behind him and, and endorse him.
1: I think it. I think it might very well be a miracle. But uh, Ron Paul's managed to do some things that we just never thought could happen. I mean, he's a he's a, a member of the House of Representatives. Who would have thought that a, a libertarian presidential candidate would have actually gotten elected to office?
0: And, you know, maybe I just don't know enough about the major party candidate selection process. I feel like there's probably a lot of some sort of a role that the Republican National Committee plays to where they could just sort of shut him down, but maybe not. Maybe since they, um, and if you know more about it, please clue me in at 800 259 9231. Because one of the things the Libertarian Party had originally complained about or has complained about in the past is that the Republicans and Democrats take money from taxpayers to fund their primaries, in that you have to go to the polls. And you, you're pay, we're paying all this money, this, this tax dollars, for the purposes of putting on a primary for the Republican and Democratic parties, and the Libertarian Party uh, pats itself on the back, and right, r- rightly so, because it funds its own primaries. The Libertarian Party does private primaries, um, within intra-party primaries, and they don't ask for tax dollars. They don't um, require time at the polls. It's just done inside the party to select their their candidate. I guess it doesn't work that way for the Republicans and Democrats, does it?
1: No, apparently it doesn't. I mean, obviously it doesn't. We go to the the polls, and now I would imagine that the uh, RNC can, if they want one candidate in in and one candidate out, I would imagine that they can throw the race somehow, but I don't know
0: how. I would like to know if that's possible, because that's just total hypothesis on my side, because you know the RNC isn't going to be happy with this, because they like their boys like Bush, and they like their big government Republicans, and... Ron Paul's definitely not a big government Republican. So I wonder what sort of potential opposition he is going to face from within the party and whether or not it's going to have any bearing. I mean, is it is it the case where the RNC has some, some say, yes or no, to their candidates? Or is it anybody who files the right paperwork with the government that gets into the primary and then the New Hampshire primary happens? Or I guess I heard another state's trying to beat New Hampshire to be the first state. I'm not sure which one it is. I'm sure. But uh, the, the first primary happens and then the the voters decide. I honestly, I plead ignorance. I don't know what the the real
1: story is. You know, the uh the front runners for the Republican Party are uh, Giuliani and McCain and they're yeah, both and, yeah. they're both um big government don't answers. Forget
0: Romney, Mitt Romney, the governor of Massachusetts. I don't of, think uh, that he
1: has a Massachusetts. chance. I don't think he has much of a chance personally um, between those two. And you know, the, the Paul would be a great a great counter to George Bush. Mm-hmm. I mean, That's what the Republican Party needs right now. They need the opposite of George Bush because George Bush has made the Republican Party look terrible.
0: It would certainly reinvigorate a lot of uh, disillusioned Republicans, a lot of angry Republicans, the ones that are angry because, well, they voted for Republicans thinking they were going to get smaller government and they got anything. But Mm -hmm. I think uh, that could be a good thing. But then again, I wonder how many will trust him. Uh, I wonder how many will say, "Well, we've heard all this before." Well, uh, but though, so, of course, Ron Paul is going to probably got the, bo- be more blunt than anyone else about.
1: He's got the voting record to back it up. Liberty, that's true. And um, you know, he's a very moral man. Um, you know, the the moral Republicans out there can't say anything about Ron Paul and his uh, his morality. I mean, he's uh, so you know, I mean, he doesn't want to legislate it, but they can't say that he's a bad guy.
0: 100- they can say
1: that about Giuliani. They can toss all kinds of things at him. Right.
0: 800-259-9231 is the packet 8 toll-free line. If you've got a suggestion or maybe you can fill us in on how the, the whole primary process actually works with the major parties, 800-259-9231. Uh, let's go to the phones, to the fun, to the amplifier line. And Ryan in Texas, you're on Free Talk Live. Take control of the airwaves, Ryan. Hey. What's up?
4: Well, first of all, Mark, your mic checks are a lot more
1: entertaining. <laughs> well, Ian just goes, one, two, one, two, Yes.
0: Well, that's he's saying that because he was on hold and he could hear him during the break, unlike our radio listeners, they can't hear that stuff. So what's on your mind, Ryan?
4: Well, you know how Democrats pledged to clean up this whole culture of corruption? Right. And they just passed they just passed their minimum wage legislation. They did. And it extends to not only the United States, but all territories as well, save mm-hmm. one. American Samoa. Why? Well, American Samoa, 75% of the workforce there is employed by Star Kids Tuna.
0: Okay, really? Which is
4: owned by Del Monte. Guess where Del Monte's headquartered?
0: Hawaii? American Samoa?
4: Nancy Pelosi's district.
0: Hmm. Oh, interesting. What a coincidence. Culture of
4: corruption all cleaned up. Oh, it's
0: a coincidence, Ryan. What are you talking about? That's well, silly. Well,
4: the funny thing is, Funny thing is, the Republicans, once they find this out after the fact, especially the ones that voted for it, raising Cain, we didn't know anything about this. You know, This is just terrible.
0: This is corrupt. They, they should have read the bill. They're, they're right. claiming they didn't know about the Del Monte right. deal. They
1: vote for crap they don't know about, and that's what's wrong with our, um, our whole legislative yeah. system. I can't believe these people have the audacity to say, oh, I voted for it, but I didn't
0: know that. Well, you should have
1: been, done your job. What did
0: we elect you for? Yeah, We were taken advantage of. Ryan, thanks for filling us in, man. We appreciate it hearing from you. 800-259-9231. You can take control of the airwaves. You bring up anything. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything toll-free. 800-259-9231. That's the Packet 8 toll-free line for you. Packet8.net for all your voiceover IP needs. Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. The place to go, the bulletin board system awaits you. Over 165,000 posts. Over 1,300 people are interacting. It's a lot of fun. There's serious issues, fun stuff, all being discussed. And it's all for free at bbs.freetalklive.com, that is bbs.freetalklive.com, and get registered now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, February 23rd through the 25th, 2007. Meet libertarian superstars like John Stossel, Michael Badnarik, and many more. The most influential libertarians in America will be there. freestateproject.org slash libertyforum for more information. That's freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. As we go back to the phones, back to the fun, Brandon in Japan. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. How you guys doing? Great. Hey, Brandon. What's on your mind?
6: So you guys had a question. Uh, you guys had a question about the uh, primaries and how you choose uh, presidential candidates, correct? Yeah. How's
0: all that stuff work?
6: <laughs> Here's how I understand it, and I actually pulled up a kind of a, a, a cheat sheet on the internet just to make sure that I was correct in my thinking. Is um, the way that presidential candidates are chosen um, are chosen at, at the end result by the RNC and the DNC but they use the primaries kind of as a barometer for who they're going to choose. Yeah. So we choose what happens is primaries generally happen first and we choose who we want to be, you know, our presidential candidate. Mm -hmm. Um, What that then does is then when you, they tally up those votes and based on the percentage of the votes, um, delegates are assigned to vote for that particular candidate. Um, so it's kind of a lot like the electoral, the electoral policy, system. Like the president. So um, yeah. the
1: the primary system sort of gives uh, the RNC and the DNC an idea of who's popular with the people and who's not. Um, you know, obviously it, it starts out with a whole bunch of people in the race in the in the beginning, and then it gets whittled down to two or three, and then at the uh, convention, they decide at the very end who's going to be the uh, the one to represent the party.
6: Right, that's correct. And this and for this. For this nominational process, there's two kinds of delegates. There's what's called the base delegates, which are the ones that um, are people that actually come from the state, um, from what I'm reading here. Mm-hmm. And it, the way these delegates are chosen from state to state is radically different. Um, it's kind of a lot like uh, um, electoral votes from state to state. Some states are winner-take-all states. Some are uh, population percentage states. Hmm. Um, and then the other ones are the uh, what are called pledged delegates, and those are the actual congressmen and senators um, that get to cast votes,
0: hmm. and
6: they are supposed to comprise 15% of the base delegates.
0: So wait a minute. So now, do the delegates actually, they're assigned, are all of them assigned to whoever wins in the state, or can they just go ahead and vote for whoever they want to vote for?
6: Um, from, what I've, from what I understand and from what I'm reading here, to try to kind of fill in the gaps of my understanding,
2: mm-hmm.
6: um, it doesn't really say... Um, as to whether or not they can kind of buck the system, kind of like the Electoral College does on occasion. Right. Um, but it looks to me like they are. Um, it looks to me like they can vote for whoever they want.
0: Huh. So it is more of just a barometer. Then the the public voting primary process is more of a suggestion for the direction the party should go than a mandate.
6: Right, and that would be consistent with our, you know, our representative republic system, because we're not a direct democracy. So um, our representatives and our government is not be, is not really beholden to uh, the citizens, except for the actual election itself, when we choose who represents
0: us. So even if Ron Paul sweeps the New Hampshire primary, it won't. It may not matter when it actually comes time for the Republican National Committee to to actually. Uh, but make very, a very unlikely. I mean, Wait, what's on right. the right? If, if, if he sweeps,
1: if he sweeps New Hampshire, then he's likely to do very well in the rest of the uh, uh, primaries. So therefore, he would get the um, the nomination. They want the guy who's going to win in place, do they?
0: Because they don't. I don't think they. I don't, I don't get the feeling that they care very much for uh, liberty-minded people.
1: I don't think that they would, uh, you know, take somebody who's done very well and uh, just push him to the sidelines.
0: Maybe, maybe right? so? they don't really.
6: They don't really care about liberty minded people, but what you'll often hear if you when you hear the political pundits talk on on both sides of the, of the major political fences is um, their big their big trait is is this person electable um, It's one of the reasons why Obama has become such a uh, such a strong buzzword amongst the Democrats right now because everyone knows that Hillary has more brand recognition, so to speak, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who also don't like her so there's there's a few doubts as to whether or not she's really going to be Electable in all of the states that Obama may be electable in right so um, what's what is disturbing about that and you know if you if you look at if you look at the system from a you know a critical thinking standpoint is the politicians what what are the key words that are missing from their from their election philosophy is what is his stance on the issues what is his um, what is his principle what do yeah. they What are their What are their viewpoints on the
0: values? Sure, Barack Obama's getting attention because he's not one of the uglier politicians. (laughs) Brandon, thank you for the
6: call. Yes, sure, no problem.
0: Thanks for the call, man. We appreciate it. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. I did. Did you see the story about him taking off his shirt this week? Did you see that? No. They they actually, I guess, he was down on in Hawaii, and this just shows you how vapid the news process is here in uh, in america how we are totally from a journalistic standpoint focusing on the most unimportant crap that we possibly can focus on and not when i want to say we i mean journalism in general not free talk live we tend to not focus on these idiots at all but uh, he was down i guess on a vacation he was at the beach he took his shirt off photographers were everywhere and it was on the it was on the front page of the drudge report i mean it was all over the place I think that it's
1: going to be an uh, Obama-Clinton ticket,
0: actually. Really? Yeah, I think yeah, that's it's all speculation. I suspect that's going to be the case. Let's go to uh, John in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, John. Hi, guys. Hey, I hear you got your computer back online. Congratulations.
2: Thanks. So
0: what's uh, I tonight? Call
7: because, I called because I heard you mentioning uh, Ron Paul. Yeah. I actually voted for Ron Paul for president in 1984. Wow. I voted, uh, that was as a libertarian. Mm -hmm. I voted uh, for a major party once before that and once since. All my other presidential votes have been libertarian. And I thought that I would never vote for a major party again for president. And that's always been with the unless. And the unless, I keep trying to think, well, what would the unless be? Well, if they they nominated Ron Paul, (laughs) I don't know who else. So uh, with Ron Paul, uh, he would certainly appeal to uh, the very small government-minded people that would tend to vote Republican.
0: Absolutely
1: would. Yeah. Um, well, and you look at look at this, John. I mean, Ian, a guy who is uh, you know he's he's for no government at all. He's right. got Ron, you know, he's got Ron Paul fever. He's excited he's about the vote. whole idea. And Ron Paul isn't the most principled libertarian in the
0: world, um, but you know Good he's enough for some of us. Well, he certainly, he could win. I mean, that's, I'm for less government in the most, the simplest way of getting to it, and if Ron Paul gets nominated, he could be the next president.
7: Well, my thinking on that is that the powers that be, if Ron Paul was able to get nominated, and by the way, he would also appeal to some on the uh, Christian right. He's anti-abortion, and Mm -hmm. I'm not, and that was a big issue when he ran in 84, but okay, you know, again... Some, no, nobody's going to be perfect. Nobody I'll let it is
0: to get there that we're all going to agree with. Plus, if, we, um, if he actually does announce for the presidency, I think we're going to do our best to get him on Free Talk Live. And that's when uh, I'll have the chance to hold him to the, his feet to the flames on uh, on issues like that. John, thanks for the call. We appreciate hearing from you as always. 800-259-9231. I'd like to hold his feet to the flame on the immigration issue as well. It's another place he and I disagree on. More on the way, you take control of the airwaves. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up what you want. Toll free, 800-259-9231. That's one 800 259 Two five nine ninety two thirty one. All of uh, the website features that we have at freetalklive.com dot com are totally free for you. Unlike those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you for access to their sites. We give it away, including the Shrine of Female Listeners. Dozens and dozens of ladies have taken the time to send us their validated photos. We put them up on our site for free, and uh, we'd like invite we'd like to invite you, if you are a lady listener, to become a participant in the Shrine. Get all the details at shrine.freetalklive.com. dot com. That is shrine.freetalklive.com. dot com.
1: How close were the philosophies of Nietzsche and the Nazis? Check out the fascinating new DVD by Dr. Stephen Hicks, available at Laze faire Books. How did the Nazis come to power in one of the most educated and civilized countries in the world? And was Nietzsche's philosophy the inspiration? Check out this and many other books and videos on liberty at lfb.com, Laissez-faire Books, lfb.com.
0: Excellent. 1-800-259-9231, the toll-free number... You bring up whatever you want. As we go back to the phones, back to the fun, let's talk to Matt in Illinois. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark.
8: Hi, how are you guys doing? Great, Matt. What's on your mind? Um, You asked what state it was that was trying to beat out New Hampshire to be the first for a primary, and it's Illinois. Okay. And they're doing it because it's Obama, because of Obama. I I was listening to the news today, and they said uh, somebody... From the government said, we're tired of having New Hampshire and Iowa decide who our next president is going to be. We want it to be Illinois. Hmm. So,
0: so are they su- they're uh, going to be successful at it. Then, then Illinois is going to be the first primary.
8: They're trying to move it up to the 18th of February or something like that. Good lord, wow, yeah,
0: it's not far away, way up
8: there. No, That's it's in not. 2008 though. It's it's right around the corner, okay. and if. Uh, if the Republicans decide that they don't want Ron Paul to be running for president, what they'll do is they'll have him get up on a stage and start yelling and screaming about how he's going to go to the next state and the next state and the next state.
0: I don't understand.
8: Like uh, Harry Reid last year or uh, last, like the Harry Reid uh, debacle.
0: I don't even Harry know what Reid that. Got, I don't even know what that is. What?
8: Not Harry Reid. Uh, what? What's his name? The uh, Howard Dean. Howard Dean. Thank you. Ah! Yes, Howard Dean got up and started
0: yelling. I see. I don't think Ron, Ron Paul doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who likes to yell.
8: No, he wouldn't get up there and yell. I was just kidding.
0: Gotcha. I, I thought that uh, Howard Dean had a
1: lot of personality for that. Uh, I just I I, I kind of liked him as a candidate. <laughs> I thought he was funny. I don't like him. Yeah, I, he, I, I wouldn't want him in charge, but it was kind of fun to watch.
8: Like I think no, I've reached I, my... I didn't get how the uh, media was able to play that up the way they did. I watched that and I was like, it was no big deal, and yeah. the media played it up. Yeah, right. It's very they,
1: strange. They took that 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 yell of his, um where he, you know, yells in victory and somehow the uh, Republican uh talk radio show well, they the went talk crazy talk shows it. they managed to turn it into some kind of uh liability and I, I just I don't understand. I mean it was a it was a mean, weird thing to do.
0: Matt, yeah. any other thoughts for us? No. Thanks, dude. We appreciate it hearing from you. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. I have had about my monthly quota of name dropping at this point
1: <laughs> you don't like to talk about politicians i don't, I don't I know. like
0: them i mean i understand we've been spending most of the time talking about ron paul and he's one of the best of uh of the bunch he probably is the best politician out there but it just ew. i feel sick when i talk about politicians for too long and hear their names
1: there are a lot of shows out there about politicians. If you want to talk about politicians and all the crap that they do and how wonderful they are for it, there's lots of shows for that.
0: I uh, I prefer, if I'm going to mention a po- uh, politician's name, to be on the attack. And in this case, let's attack some, uh, some of the people in office today. For the minimum wage, because, well, they passed it. The House has. I don't know if it's gone to the Senate quite yet. I don't think they voted on it yet. But the president has essentially... Said he would go, he was going to sign it. Sure, um, he threw in something about oh he wants benefits for businesses or small businesses, but apparently he doesn't understand that the minimum wage is going to hurt small businesses, especially the ones on the edge, the ones that are having the toughest time making it. Guess he just doesn't understand the economics there.
1: It's going to hurt people that make minimum wage now too. Some of yeah. them aren't going to make the cut.
0: It's true. Um, and the statistics bear that out. Anytime the minimum wage uh, goes up, when any time it's raised by the government, then a certain percentage of low income workers just lose their jobs. Yeah, some of them get a raise, but some people lose low their jobs. Down. That's not good. That's not what we want. That's not a solution for America. But don't ask the politicians to do anything differently because all they're concerned about is how they're going to look at the polls. And telling everybody that we raise the minimum wage makes them sound good. It makes them sound like good guys. It makes them sound like the they're fighting for the poor people out there. When in fact, all they're doing is ensuring votes because it's totally uh, it's a totally political issue that they can grandstand on. Yep, that's all it is because it's totally detrimental to the economy. Well, I
1: I, I wouldn't want to make it seem the worst thing in the world for the economy? I don't think it is. I think
0: that it's a pretty small minor Mickey Mouse issue, but oh, it's not a Mickey Mouse issue and I'll give you an example as to why. Let's go to lewrockwell.com, Doug French About Opportunity Village. You ever heard of this place? No. You're going to know all about it here in moments. With sounds like a
1: halfway house.
0: With majorities in the House and Senate, Democrats are virtually certain to raise the minimum wage in early 2007. They've been attempting the increase for years, but Republicans have stood in the way. No longer. The head Republican, President George W. Bush, announced at a news conference, quote, I support the proposed $2.10 increase in minimum wage in a two-year period.
1: Wow, that's a big increase.
0: The president went on to say that he wants to pair the increase with targeted tax and regulatory relief to help small businesses stay competitive, proving that he doesn't understand who really is hurt most by a minimum wage boost. Business people aren't successful if they can't overcome the obstacles that government continually puts in their path or the pressure applied by their competitors. Thus, a government mandate to increase the wage floor will put few business people, if any, out of business. Entrepreneurs will figure out a way to keep labor costs in line, as they always have, using creative scheduling, mechanization and technology, etc. But the reaction to Nevada voters choosing to increase their silver state's minimum wage a dollar of the federal minimum should give the president a clue. The most ardent fans of a minimum wage increase were horrified that the new law would affect nonprofit organizations. This is an unintended consequence of the amendment, said Nevada Labor Commissioner Michael Tanchek during an informational workshop. He said, "And I think it's a very bad thing. This really bothers me." Tanchek was bothered because he believed that at the time that organizations like Opportunity Village would have to comply with the new wage law costing the highly visible organization 1.7 million dollars per year that's no tiny effect mark that's a big de- that's a big deal opportunity village employs the intellectually disabled to do simple assembly and package work and pays their clients on a piecework basis so mm. you put it together you get paid sort of right. like pulling apples off of trees the more you pull down the more you get paid and they they're taking People that wouldn't be very employable yeah. otherwise. A little retarded, maybe a little slow, a little sure. disabled, uh, crippled. There,
1: there's there's one in uh, w- w- the town we're from, Sarasota, Florida, mm-hmm. um, that uh, it's called the Lighthouse for the Blind, and I believe that blind people make brooms.
0: For example, casino giant Harrah's has contracted with the organization to package sweeteners, and non-dairy creamer packets, in plastic wrappers to be used in its hotels nationwide. Nice. It was crystal clear to everyone that the mentally challenged adults at Opportunity Village could not... Produce at a rate to justify the new wage requirement that the voters in their collective wisdom foisted upon employers on Election Day. Also clear was the fact that these jobs provide a great benefit to the clients of Opportunity Village. It wasn't just the money. They provide a vehicle for these disabled adults to learn self-reliance and self-esteem. Great. They feel the joy of providing a job well done each day as any of us do. And you would think that if there were ever a dead-end job, Opportunity Village is it, Right. There's probably not going to be a lot of uh, upward mobility at Opportunity Village. Wrong. Many go from the training center to jobs in the community that pay more than the minimum, reports Hmm. the Las Vegas Review-Journal the organization 's executive director, Ed Guthrie, boiled down the problem of minimum wa- uh, minimum wage laws while discussing the new wage amendment with r j columnist uh, jeff aaron or aaron neff rather and thats quote and that straightforward reading could mean we have to pay six twenty five an hour whether they do twenty pieces or one hundred pieces mm. that 's the problem with the minimum wage inexperienced and underskilled workers who can only do twenty pieces an hour would have to be let go by an organization that must earn a profit in order to stay in existence and to keep people employed it's not even a,
1: it's it's well it's a not for profit but they still have to make a certain amount of money right and you pay the bills and if all their money is going into payroll then they don't have any money left to do anything else
0: and this is just one example and there's a little bit more on this there's a this is just one example of how low income uh people how unskilled workers are hurt by minimum wage increases and now we're going to do it on a nationwide basis? Ooh, that's not good. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. The packet 8 toll-free line for you. This is your show. It is Free Talk Live. You take control of the airwaves. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up whatever you want. Toll-free number, 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8 toll-free line for you, one 800 259 92.31, it is Ian here with you. And Mark? Do you think the minimum wage is a good idea? If so, I want to hear from you at 800-259-9231. I'm not just asking if you think a increase is a good idea. I just mean the minimum wage, period. 800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away. That we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by buying some stuff at amazon.freetalklive.com. There's 80, or excuse me, 35 categories Of products, they'll probably get to 80 eventually, Uh, but 35 categories right now from everything from their brand new grocery store to what they were originally known for, their huge book selection, uh, DVDs, electronics, office products, sporting goods, accessories, it's all there. If you shop, though, through this link, amazon.freetalklive.com, then anything you purchase, Free Talk Live gets a percentage of. So it's really the best way to get all the stuff that you need in life because great prices, great service, um, free super saver shipping on a lot of the purchases you'll make. And you benefit Free Talk Live all at the same time. What could be better? Amazon.freetalklive.com. And also, don't forget, you can get Free Talk Live branded merchandise from store.freetalklive.com. We're talking about the minimum wage and the increase that the Democrats and uh, President Bush have uh, both sort of teamed up. They're going to help the low-end workers. They're going to help them out. They're going to give them some just, just free money, right? I mean, they're just going to pass a law, and all of a sudden, all employers are going to have to start just paying people more. And it's going to be great for everyone, isn't it, Mark? Of
1: course. It's just going to make everybody richer.
0: No, actually, no. it won't. Um, what it will do is it will placate a few few individuals who have lower um, income jobs minimum wage jobs they'll feel good because they'll get that boost and they'll feel like yeah the government's really doing something for me but that you know that's not not even that's not even
1: the point though politicians don't care about people that don't vote i mean really let's be uh, let's be honest about it um they and most minimum wage people don't vote um they're mostly the the poor uh you know very uneducated immigrants Probably true. and uh, mostly high school kids, college kids, things like that. Um, the young—they just care how it looks, right? Absolutely. So um, it's not those people that are interested in it. It's the the union people whose um, wages are tied to the minimum oh, yeah. wage. Because there's generally, there's you know there's union jobs out there that are um, their wages are tied to uh, a percentage of the minimum wage. So right. they get paid 400 percent of the minimum wage or something like that. Mm. And so they'll get a
0: nice little increase.
1: They're the ones; those those unions guys are the ones.
0: So, the politicians will make will uh, will pass the law, and the minimum wage will increase. And the uh, there's a gentleman on uh, Doug French at Lou Rockwell dot com is is explaining one example, just one example of the lower income workers, the low skill workers that are going to take some damage from the uh, the increase in the minimum wage. He's describing Opportunity Village, and it's a place in Nevada. And apparently Nevada recently voted an increase in their state minimum wage, so it's uh, Nevada's minimum is a buck over the federal minimum. And as a result, a lot of people got concerned because Opportunity Village is a place where low-skill workers, people maybe with a little retardation, people crippled, for instance, can come in and they can do very basic manual labor tasks like putting together uh, little baggies of sugar or something like that, and they do they get paid on a per piece basis so however many they complete is how many they get is what they get paid on and essentially this law was going to turn all this around this law was going to change the rules it was going to make it so these people had to be paid on a minimum wage hourly basis and
1: i thought the law did turn it around it did change the rules
0: there is an exception that was made people were getting all upset about what was going to happen to opportunity village because well, it's a very real example of some low-skill workers that were going to take a hit as a result of the increase in the minimum wage. But for some reason, they don't care about the rest of the businesses out there. The mom-and-pop businesses it Was just this one organization. Right.
1: Obviously, mom and pop couldn't hire somebody who has a disability and employ them to do a simple uh, task and, and pay them to be uh, you know, uh, a productive member of society. Just this not-for-profit.
0: Well, as uh, Mr. French points out, This is the problem with the minimum wage. Inexperienced and underskilled workers who can only do 20 pieces an hour would have to be let go by an organization that must earn a profit to stay in existence and keep people employed. And tragically, those underskilled workers never then get the opportunity to learn and improve those skills that take them to the next step on the employment ladder. Unfortunately, what's plain as day when we speak of mentally challenged adults who work for a nonprofit doesn't seem to penetrate the brains and hearts of voters and politicians who seek minimum wage increases when average workers and businesses are considered. People voting for the minimum wage indulge in a fantasy that they're helping the hard-working, down-on-his-luck adult minimum wage earner who's struggling to support a family. Instead, they're preventing the sweet, earnest, but maybe a little slow kid living down the block from getting that first job because his output doesn't reach the economic level required by a wage that the government has set too high. That's correct. Now, there is a happy ending for the clients of Opportunity Village, as it's been ruled that the minimum wage laws don't apply to them. The organization's obtained an IRS classification that considers its workers as independent contractors. Mm -hmm. But alas, for the average entry-level worker seeking that very first job, there will be fewer opportunities to go around after the politicians in Washington get done this year and mr french points out one of the one of the damaging factors to the into an increase in the minimum wage and that is that low skilled workers are going to take uh take cuts they're going to take hits they're never going to get the first job in the first place that's bad enough but then you also have to look at the effect uh that increasing the prices or increasing the price of labor is going to uh have on the prices of the products on the shelves where you, where you purchase them. Right. That's overhead and um, everything that a business
1: produces. I mean, they, they have to make a profit. Otherwise, they're not going to be in business. So the overhead has to go into the pro- um, cost of the product.
0: Right. So you're going to see prices rise. So those who actually did get an increase in wage are going to have no increase in purchasing power because prices are going to go up. So it's just a... It's just a hall of mirrors. It's a total scam on people. And then there's the other factor. This is it's so wide-reaching. I don't think many people realize this. If you are right now working for $7 an hour, you're making a good buck and a half more than the minimum wage. But if they raise the minimum wage to $7 an hour, and they're talking about making it higher than that, if they raise the minimum wage to $7 an hour over a year and a half, then you're making the minimum wage. And that's an insult to people who've worked very, very hard for two or three or four years, wherever if you start at a minimum wage position right. and you move up, you stick around for a while, you get your ninety day review, your yearly review, you get a raise, you get another raise, you've moved up from five fifteen or five twenty five. You're now at seven dollars an hour. And darn it, you worked for that uh that increase. So you're sitting there watching as everybody who's new, coming in at the level you once came in at, is now going to get paid the same amount that you're getting paid. Because you can bet that your boss isn't going to give you a $2 increase whenever he has to raise up the the minimum at the same time.
1: Right, everybody doesn't get a $2 increase across the board.
0: It's just going to raise up that floor. And then you're going to be insulted because everybody new that's hired on is getting hired on at the exact same rate you're getting paid that you worked for a few years very hard to get to
1: that point. Right, and then you're just going to be starting all over again. Now, chances are good if you manage to work your way up from minimum wage that you'll probably want to be one of the first ones who uh, move above minimum wage again. It's true,
0: but... It's still insulting. It's, it's a slap in the face to many people uh, in the country. And that's not going to be good for morale at the workplace. It's going to make them angry at their bosses. They're gonna feel, it's going to feel unfair. And the boss is going to say, hey, my hands are tied. I have a budget to make. You know, I've got bills to pay. I've got payroll to make. And I've got to keep these doors open. I've got to keep the, the electricity on. I can't raise your wage. I have to raise these other guys. I can't raise your wage. In fact, I'm going to have to pile some more responsibilities onto you. Right. You're going to work. You're gonna have to work harder. These are all uh, all some of the consequences of the minimum wage. Of course, the other consequence is the higher wages go in the United States, the more likely businesses are to just say, screw it. We're going to China yep. or Taiwan or Mexico. India or Mexico or wherever where we can manufacture the same product for half the price. And that you're just giving them, the higher you raise that wage, the more likely those sorts of things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then what are the unions going to think about that? What are they going to think when their whole well, factory shuts they'll down? They'll talk about
1: how bad corporations are, of course, mm. when we forced them into it.
0: It's really just a sad situation and it's one of the most un it's one of the most misunderstood issues I think in American politics. And I think it really just because most Americans have no grasp whatsoever on economics. I know I didn't when I got out of high school. Yeah, they told me something about supply and demand and maybe a few other basic concepts. They didn't really get into uh, economics that really have a direct effect on people's lives. It's true. They certainly didn't get into political economics and how uh, the po- politicians just screw with screw up the economy. Right. Every time they get involved in the economy, they screw it up. Yep. And because it's force, and force has unintended consequences. Force has unintended consequences when it, when you're dealing with human beings and you're trying to force them to do things they don't want to do, or force them to do things. Uh, That they are to not do things that they want to do. And you also have force when it comes to the economy. When you try it, there's certain laws that cannot be repealed. And it doesn't matter. Natural laws, economic laws. You can't make these things go away. And the politicians try their damnedest. They keep passing law after law as though it's going to make a difference. And all the government, all the economy does is just moves around it. it, just flows around it as much as it possibly can. But the government gets in the way and it screws things up in the process. And who feels the heat? Small business owners and the little guys. The guys who have a tough time learning. And the cripples. Hour 3 is on the way. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off Hour 3, and you can take control of the airwaves. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. The packet, eight. .net toll-free line. That's 1-800-259-9231. And it's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. Enjoy all the features on the site. We give them away. Those other radio talk show hosts, they want to charge you. We do it for free. Free Freetalklive.com. Got some bad news, Mark. Some bad news in the world of guns. Mm. Now, let's pull out the old Second Amendment, shall we? Just for review's sake. Just so, in case you've never heard it before... You have some idea of what the original founding fathers had in mind for the country.
1: A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Seems pretty straightforward. The idea there being that you should be able to have guns. And the, the right of the people should not be um, should not be
0: infringed. You shouldn't be keeping bear arms, shall not shooting be people with them unless they're in self-defense. Uh, unless it's in self-defense purposes. And the individual at the center of a trial in Fayetteville wasn't shooting people with his guns; he just had some, and now he's been convicted of possessing guns. Hmm. And we will I will explain the story. Hollis Wayne Fincher's machine gun trial uh, has gone to the jury, and the the first of all, there's two stories, both coming from the Morning News, um, which is a I guess an Arkansas newspaper. The first story's got the detail, and then the second story is just a quickie saying that he was found guilty today. So, guilty verdict. So, whenever it references that he's going to trial or they're going to deliberate, the deliberations are done. We just uh, we just haven't gotten a uh, they haven't sentenced him yet. Okay.
1: So you know, you'd think the lawyer would be able to walk in front of the jury and say, "Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I hold before you the Bill of Bill of Rights. It's part of the Constitution of the United States of America, the supreme law of the land." And then just read the right of the people. To keep him bare arms shall not be infringed. Thank you,
0: would, you you would, thank you, ladies and gentlemen of the jury. You, you would think. Find this man not guilty. That's uh, part of the case, Mark. In fact, as to why it was that he wasn't allowed to do that. Here's how it worked. So they went to trial. The juries deliberated. The defense rested Thursday after U.S. District Judge Jim Larry Hendren ruled Fincher's proposed testimony inadmissible. Fincher testified for more than an hour with the jury out of the courtroom. So Hendren, the judge could decide if his testimony was admissible. Hendred has repeatedly ruled that the defense can attack the government's evidence, but not the law that applies to the case. Amazing. He also ruled, based on the U.S. Supreme Court precedents, that laws passed by Congress to regulate firearms do not violate the Second Amendment. After hearing Fincher out, Hendrin decided that the testimony was aimed at challenging the legality of federal gun laws, not if Fincher had illegal unrestricted firearms or rather unregistered firearms in his possession. Fincher maintains the possession of the guns which he does not deny should be should not be criminalized because their possession was reasonably related to a well regulated militia based on the 2nd amendment to the US Constitution. Fincher said uh, who said the group would have been derelict to not use inexpensive available and effective military weaponry to protect their homes and the state. Now, I don't think the article has mentioned it yet, but Fincher is a lieutenant in the, yes, the uh, the militia of Washington County. Mm-hmm. So he is a militia member. Fincher said the group, uh, let's see, according to police, Fincher had two 308 caliber machine guns, homemade versions of a Browning Model 1919. The other firearms were 9mm Sten design submachine guns and a sawed-off shotgun. He said they were an ideal machine gun for a militia. While the defense has tried to make the case an issue of the Constitution versus federal gun laws, the government has tried to make the case as simple as possible for jurors. Fincher had the machine guns, and they weren't registered as required by federal law. And as we've seen, whenever somebody tries to challenge the law itself in a courtroom, this is what happens. The judge decides, no, there will be no law in my courtroom.
1: Yeah, you, you can't. Are- <laughs> the American people just aren't smart enough and aren't capable enough.
0: Deciding on their own laws. We have professionals for that, right? If the laws on the books, the judge will not allow it to be challenged. The judge will not allow jury nullification to come up. That was another tact they were trying to take with this case was to point out that this is an asinine law. Please throw it out. And the judge just refused to even allow them to utter such things in the courtroom. If you can't defend yourself, if you can't bring up the defense that you think is going to get you off the hook, if you can't bring up the defense that you want to, this is not a free country, and it doesn't even have a semblance of having a justice system anymore. It's a stacked deck, any way you look at it. And it's
1: absolutely disgusting. You know, it's it's what's sad is is that these guys hire lawyers, and then their lo- um their lawyers are hamstrung because they're part of this whole organization. Right. They they won't go against what the judge says, or they'll have their bar license revoked.
0: Fincher, a major issue has been whether or not the militia of Washington County is a valid state militia for Second Amendment purposes, and the judge ruled that it's not. A state militia is well. well thank you, Your Honor. Yep. Thank you for your wise and studious opinion. Yep. So now, now goes pound some salt in your butt, you stinking bureaucrat. Now the judges get to decide. What a militia is and isn't. They get to decide uh, whether, what you can even bring up in a courtroom. There's no semblance of justice here whatsoever. But if you think there is, 800 259 9231, if you can take the state side on this one. A state militia, according to uh, the judge, is an arm of the government under the governor who appoints officers at his discretion, according to case law that former Governor Mike Huckabee provided prosecutors, a letter saying there was no recognized relationship between the state and the militia of Washington County. So, for you to have a militia, according to the state of Arkansas, it has to be state approved. If the state hasn't approved your militia, you can not have one.
1: Uh, Well, how historical is that? It doesn't seem to me that necessarily every state has uh, always sanctioned every militia.
0: The original I mean, people purpose. should be able to get together and protect themselves. That's what a militia is all about. That's, that's what I thought, at least. Apparently the state disagrees. Can you imagine that, Mark? The one organization that is uh, is out there to protect us from an overreaching state is now being outlawed by the state itself. And, you know, the, the state, it's okay for the state to have
1: these automatic weapons and any old kind of weapons yes. they want. But no, 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 not
0: you. Well, we can't trust you regular folk with these automatic weapons. It's okay, though, for any state agent to have them. Fincher argued that the group notified the governor that it was forming the militia and acquiring weapons, and when he didn't respond in ten days, that they had the state's approval. So I guess what they did was they wrote a letter saying, well, if you don't respond to this letter, we're going to presume that uh, we've got your approval. Hendren said members appear to have the best interest of their state and country at heart, but the outfit is, at best, an unorganized and unregulated militia. This is the judge saying Oh, it's got to be this unregulated militia thing. Hold on. What is an unregulated
1: militia? Because the Constitution just says militia. It says well-regulated, doesn't it? Yeah, it says a well-regulated militia is ah. being necessary to the security of the free state.
0: Well-regulated by the government is what the judge is saying. The judge ah. is saying we need to have this. See, this is a problem with the Constitution. I was on Gardner Goldsmith's show today here in New Hampshire, and we were discussing this. And that, and that is that you can't use the Constitution as a backup for your argument. You can't stand on it. Because as soon as you try to pull the Constitution up as uh, t- to validate what you're saying, anybody else can throw down and say, well, that's just your interpretation, Mark. Right. I guess you're right. And in the case of the, the, the robed ones who are in charge of the courtrooms, that's what they always pull out. Oh, that's your interpretation. And in fact, we're not even going to allow your interpretation in our courtroom. Yeah. Who, who the hell do they think they are to interpret the Constitution? Men in robes, sir, with uh, men with guns standing by to enforce their decisions. That's that much, who they are. That's
1: exactly who they are.
0: Thursday morning, federal firearms expert testified guns seized by federal agents at Fincher's Washington County home are machine guns as defined by federal law and are not properly registered. It's a machine gun, said Earl Griffith, a firearms expert with the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. He told jurors as he examined one of the guns seized. Fincher said he'd assembled about 10 of the Brownings and 50 of the Stens for the militia. The Browning 1919s were originally made for US military and later sold to Israel where they were modified to fire a 308 caliber round, said Griffith. They were later decommissioned and sold to dealers who can legally sell the guns in the United States as parts kits minus the right side plates that allow them to function as a fully automatic machine gun. Mm-hmm. Plans and templates for the side plate are readily available on the internet and were seized from Fincher's house, said Griffith. The Sten-type guns were likely decommissioned guns from Britain sold as parts kits that were assembled here. Uh, they go into uh, some of the other guns. It's been illegal for civilians to own machine guns without permission from the U.S. Treasury Department since 1934. Federal law permits the public to own machine guns manufactured and registered before 86, under certain conditions. Guns made or imported after that date can be bought by law enforcement agencies, but not to the public. Each new weapon is subject to a manufacturing tax, must be registered within the Bureau's National Firearms Registry, both sides will present closing arguments. I guess they did. In fact, the story was that apparently the defense wasn't even able to call witnesses. They didn't present any evidence or call any witnesses. And why is that? Because the judge said you can't do it. 800 Claire Wolfe, uh, famous quote about shooting the bastards. When is it going to be time? It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves. The toll-free number is 800-259-9231. Bring up whatever's on your mind. 1-800-259-9231. The packet 8 toll-free line for you. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there, we give them away, and that does include the updates. You get signed up for the updates, and we'll clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. Updates.freetalklive.com to get on the list. That is updates.freetalklive.com.
1: Does your company have a bunch of unpaid receivables just sitting out there? Try Sacle CAI. They do collections in a whole new way. SACL knows that the way they treat your customer reflects on you. They record every customer interaction, so you can check their work. Let SACL CAI handle any or all of your account's receivable needs. See their banner at freetalklive.com or call 1-800-544-6359. That's 1-800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live
0: one 800 We just got some very disappointing news uh, out of a case happening in Arkansas. And I sort of just learned about it within the past day or so. And it has just been decided by the jury in this case that Wayne Fincher is guilty. Hollis Wayne Fincher, guilty of having unregistered firearms and, uh, and I guess being open about it. I mean, he drew some attention to himself because... He just thought it was okay what he was doing, and he was willing to take it, uh, take it to the courts and, and fight it out. He thought that he would have the opportunity to fight this 1930-something law that outlaws people owning machine guns in the United States. He thought that – can you imagine this, Mark? He thought that the judicial system was the appropriate place for uh, laws to be challenged. It's crazy. And possibly overturned. I mean, wasn't that the original purpose of the judicial branch? was to examine the laws and determine whether or not they are actually indeed or not uh, constitutional. Um, It seems like that. That's what it's that seems right to me. I guess he had that silly idea in his head and figured that, well, if they brought him up on charges, he'd be able to fight the charges and, you know, present a case and maybe just maybe get the law overturned as unconstitutional. Well, it turns out that when he got into the courtroom, and according to... uh, We don't
1: do that here, son.
0: According to uh, the War on Guns blog, one of the guys who was actually in the court, according to him, the judge at one point uh, said he was going to allow the constitutional objections in his court, and then the next day turned it around and decided, no, we're not going to allow those constitutional objections here in my courtroom. Hmm. So as a result, the defense couldn't call any witnesses... And they couldn't uh, they couldn't have any testimony. Sounds like uh, some he had somebody had a talking to with him. You think so? That's what the suggestion was here this in this blog. It's, that, it seems like it. Those BATF guys can be pretty scary dudes. I mean, these are the same people that killed the uh, the folks at Waco and in uh, Ruby Ridge. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't put I wouldn't put it past them to be violent and threatening towards people. But either way, the judge came back and said, Nah. You won't be talking about the Constitution in this courtroom. Nope, sorry, you can't challenge the law itself. All you can challenge is whether or not you broke it. And, of course, he admitted to having the guns. He had the guns. Everybody right. knows he had the guns. So, to the jury, it seemed like it was an open and shut case. Because the judge wouldn't allow him to actually present his defense. You know,
1: here's what I would have done. is I would have asked my lawyer, please sit here and make sure I don't mess up. But I'm going to handle it from here on out. And then... Go ahead and shut me up at my own trial. Mm. How are you going to do it? How are you going to get a jury to sit there? Uh, I mean, to, 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 you're going to keep sending them out of the room. You're going to keep, silence! You, I will not have the Constitution in my courtroom! <laughs> I mean, really, what are you going to do? You're, you might as well. You don't have anything to lose, right? Right! I mean, You know you're going to get thrown into the clink either way. You might as well handle it from there on out. I might as well question those people mm-hmm. because I don't have any witnesses left. They're probably not going to let me call anyone up anyway, and then I get to do the closing
0: arguments. Now I mentioned Claire Wolf's famous quote about uh, "Is it time to to shoot the bastards, or when will it be time?" I don't remember the exact. Our quote.
1: government's at a funny stage. Um, it's it's too late to do anything about it. And it's too, too early, early to shoot, shoot the, the bastards.
0: bastards. Right, and we don't advocate violence here on Free Talk Live. In fact, I personally would prefer nonviolent solutions to downsizing the government, to getting the government out of people's lives. its all I find acceptable. But but at a certain point, you know, at what point do we cross that line? Well, it's not when, today. When they start throwing people in prison and not even allowing them to bring up defenses in these so-called fair courts that we are supposed to have. The courts have been decimated. The Congress is full of sc- scam artists and thugs. And the president is, a, is another lowlife just like the rest of them are. The whole situation has been corrupted. And it has no resemblance at all to what the founding fathers originally intended. So when do we finally cross that line? I don't know. And I'd like to hear your answer at 800-259-9231 and how you feel in general about people not being allowed to bring the law itself into the courtroom, the Constitution itself. It's not just in this case; it's also in the case of the tax freedom advocates like Irwin Schiff. They weren't allowed, He wasn't allowed uh, to bring up his arguments. Now they he, just railroaded him right into a prison cell. Didn't just he like represent they did in the himself, sky? though? I don't recall. I, I, thought I don't did. recall. We got to go to the phones, though. Edward in New Mexico, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Uh, hello. Hey, Edward. What's on your mind?
9: Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. sure. What's on your mind, sir? Well, I'm listening to you rant about the judges and stuff, and it's really a frustrating topic for me. Yeah. Um, I've been following a group called Citizens of the American Constitution.org. Okay. Jack and Margie Flynn of uh, just north of me, Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yeah, I think I've heard something about them. They seem to have a pretty good system, and it seems to have worked a couple of times. They basically have. um, Basically, before they set their foot into court, they filed some motions that. State right up front. This is a Article. Um, sorry, I'm getting all nervous here.
2: That's uh, all right.
9: Uh, article three, constitutional court, with a jury and a sworn judge. Uh, verif- uh, an affidavit or a motion verifying that the court has that the judge has sworn an uh, oath to the constitution. Okay. Has a surety bond and all that stuff. Uh, Etc. Etc. And basically brings it into a constitutional instead of an administrative court. Um, That what that allows them to do is when the judge comes up and says, you know what, you're not allowed to insert the Constitution here. They can stand up and put some teeth into it and say, excuse me, sir, you took an oath to this Constitution. You are in a state. What you are you going on the public record as? going on in insurrection of the Constitution, Hmm. and they take it a step further and saying, you have an armed bailiff standing next to you that is not taking action against you in this. This makes it armed rebellion against the Constitution. Hmm. You just entered treason, sir, on the public record. And they push it from that angle, and it sort of gets the judge by the balls.
1: It it does sound good. It sounds like, uh, are they representing themselves? Because sort of ahead of time, you're asking them questions that make them say yes.
9: Well, that's the thing. You stick before – okay, to set it all up correct, if I can calm down a second and get it
1: out. <laughs> You're doing fine. <laughs>
0: it's just they... us, man. There's nobody else listening. It's just me and Mark.
9: <laughs> they say um, – basically what do they, they do is they set up a bunch of pre-court motions that say, have you, done a, um, have you sworn an oath of the Constitution
0: um, – how is it that the judge can't just dismiss dismiss those pre-court motions? Um, send out uh, bailiffs, uh, send out the cops to grab them up and uh, you know snatch them out of their house and throw them in front of the court? How is it that they even bother respecting these pre-court motions? Hang on, we'll let you come back and explain it. You can catch your breath, get a drink of water, or something like that. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one, the toll free number for you. The courts uh, courtroom situation in this country is an embarrassment to freedom. And I'd like to hear your comments on it as well. 800-259-9231, this is your show. It's Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231. It is the packet 8. .NET toll-free line, 1-800-259-9231. Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. We've got a wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com is where you need to go to get access. It's for free. There's over 900 pages created by listeners like you. It's like the listener editable version of our website, wiki.freetalklive.com. And like everything else on our site, it is totally free. And by the way, what's your liberty issue? Well, maybe it's the right to bear arms, like we've been discussing this hour. Register now for the February of 2007 New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Panelists include pro-Second Amendment New Hampshire state representatives and gun organizations, as well as Bill Westmiller, national ch- uh, chairman of the Republican Liberty Caucus. Visit freestateproject.org slash libertyforum for more information and to get registered. That's freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. We are talking. We started out the hour talking about a story about a man named uh, Wayne, let's see, what was his last name, Wayne, oh boy, Hollis, well, excuse me, it's Wayne Fincher, yeah, Hollis Wayne Fincher, he was on trial in Arkansas for possessing machine guns, and he wanted to actually bring up the Constitution and, you know, that pesky Second Amendment in his trial, and the judge told him at first, yeah, that would be okay, then the next day the judge came in and said, no, you can't bring that up. And so he wasn't allowed to bring up his defense, and as you might imagine, since he couldn't use his own defense that he'd had planned for himself, the jury went ahead and convicted him, and now he's going to jail. He's a 60-year-old man. Ridiculous. Now he's going to jail, federal prison. A danger to no one. Committed no, no violent crimes no against violent anyone. No violent crimes at all. Just had a no few No crimes machine against guns. anyone. That's it. And they also, the judge also re, uh, ruled, based on so-called Supreme Court decisions, he ruled that uh, militias have to be appointed by the government. That you can't just go out and form your own militia. It has to be a state-approved and state-regulated organization.
1: Which apparently uh, you know, flies in the face of this uh, country's heritage. Yes, I mean, it does. We had militias all over the place here, and they were private organizations of men who got together to defend themselves.
0: Voluntary associations of individuals is what militias mm-hmm. were. And you could have more than one militia in any given area. If I don't like your militia, Mark, I'll go form my own militia. Fine. And I don't have to ask anybody's permission to do so, though the government is now saying that you do. And if you don't ask permission, then you might suffer the same fate as Wayne Hollis, or Hollis Wayne uh, Fincher, rather. Let's go back to the phones, back to Edward in New Mexico. You're back on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Now, Edward... You were telling us uh, about a group called the Citizens of the American Constitution. I've gone to their website at this point, and it's a very long website URL. It's citizensoftheamericanconstitution.org. It's got that sort of uh, low quality layout to it. You can very tell it's, so. it's just that you know it's just a couple it's a of grassroots type thing, right? It's a couple of people. They don't have a, a large budget. Um, I haven't had a chance to really peruse the site quite yet, but the site um,
9: itself is put together by Jack and Margie. Lynn, to the best of my knowledge, or someone worked for them, and they themselves um, do uh, tours or um,
0: workshops, as I see. And from what I can tell here, it looks as though they're actually giving away their information. And normally when you see these sort of patriot websites – they always have, like, a little bit of a teaser. We can get you out of paying income taxes. Just buy our $700 book. Yeah, that's or, not what they're doing. Buy our $800 CD-ROM, and all secrets will be revealed. But now, here they're it, they're... it actually appears that they're giving you the information up front, which, to me, that's a good sign.
9: They are. They seem to be very upfront about it. Um, their seminars are they're not cheap, but they're not extremely expensive either. Um...
0: So the basic idea, as you were explaining it, as I understand it, is that they they file a few motions before oh, yeah. they actually go to trial and Let are me lay
9: they... it out this way. Okay. Lay it out this way. Um, when you when they first go up to the tr- judge, first thing they do basically is file up some motions, um, asserting that or attesting for the public record that yes you've um, sworn an oath, yes you're here to uphold the law and the Constitution, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. um, that this is a, a constitutionally compliant court. And as soon as the judge asks them to put in a verdict or something, they challenge the jurisdiction, saying, Wait a minute, there's no jury here. This is not an Article III constitutional court. So that's the mindset that they're coming from. Only an Article III jury court has any jurisdiction over them.
0: Hmm. Now, is this now, something that, I mean, right I feel front. a little bit lost already. I mean, is this something that if you look at the site, you can start to understand if you don't know what all these Article 3 things are? Or do you have to have, like, I'm a sorry, law article degree three, to get saying, this?
9: I'm just saying the the third article of the Constitution, that sets up um, where American citizens can right. be right. That, that's,
1: the, that's, that's the article that's of the referenced. Constitution that sets up the judicial system. Period. I see.
9: Yeah, that's the reference I'm making to Article 3. Gotcha. I might be mixing up two and three, but I think it's three. I'm pretty sure it's three.
0: I'll go check it for you. Um, Um, To answer your question,
9: though, one of the setup questions that they set up um, in in line with have you taken an oath is um, I have a right to a fully informed jury and um, the jury swears an oath to the Constitution. I'm reading this line right off their website. Mm -hmm. The jury swears an oath to the Constitution. Is that correct? In its deliberations and in its verdict, the jury is required to abide by its oath. Is that correct? I mean, what judge is going to say no?
1: Right. How, how could that You're on the
9: public record, right up front, saying, "I'm taking my constitutional rights. I'm demanding a con- uh, constitutional court. I'm demanding a fully informed jury, um, which includes the the ability of the jury nullification." Um, well, and,
1: that you you don't tell them about jury nullification uh, nullification up uh, ahead of time. That's you know that's no. It's in the, the of,
9: well. When you I, as I understand, when you submit your instructions, it comes out then, but. I mean, you've already got the constitutions firmly established in this court already.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. And they're actually claiming here on their website that they've won over 250 cases, a near 100 percent victory record. So one my, of, one th-
9: of note of that is um, that caught my ear. they've they post for free um, a two-day seminar uh, workshop mm-hmm. online in their audio section. It's a little dry to go through, but it's, uh, if, if, you, if, you pull, pull, if you listen to it, you can pull quite a bit of information out of it. It's well worth it. I've listened to it three times over now, and I still haven't managed to figure out exactly all of it.
0: Interesting. Now, are they actually uh, but, representing
9: people? They were involved in um, the group that initially got the um, Los Alamos Labs cleanup initiated here in this state.
0: Hmm. I don't know what that is.
9: Um, the... Nuclear test labs here in uh, New Mexico.
0: They did what now? What, what about them?
9: Well, I wish I didn't have all the history up. I don't have this history up in my fingertips. I'm not ready to talk about this. I don't remember. Okay. But it's basically the lab was basically running under the radar for some 30-whatever years. Um, and the neighborhoods were getting sick and stuff. Uh, these people, Jack and Margie Flynn personally, got involved with some of the groups or one of the groups, um... Trying to get uh, this looked at and getting Los Alamos cleaned up.
0: I see. So they stepped in and, and assisted. Now, are they actually lawyers, or are they just people no. who come in and assist on people's cases?
9: They don't even assist. They'll give. Adv- they'll give you their opinion on what they would do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's pro se. It's your. One of the things I really respect about these people is that they don't try and come in and say, "Hey, we can solve all your problems." They're coming in here and say, "Hey, look, we have some pieces of information. If you." absorb these pieces of information and you use them correctly, you can get quite a bit done with them. They basically turn around and say, hey look, we can't solve your problems. The responsibility is on your shoulders. Here's the tools.
0: I like it. And I like the fact that they give them up front on their website because nothing says scam to me more than uh, than a teaser website and then a you know an order form.
9: Yeah, yeah. No, the only teasing thing about the website is the very slow development. And I think that's just because they don't have a development team on their website.
0: Right. They and they're probably, probably just, managed
9: to put it together themselves or a friend did it for Right.
0: Them. Probably just a couple of older folks, and they don't really have a grasp on the Internet. And, and they're probably uh, not making that, that much money. Part, yeah. Right. Good see. point. Hey, thanks yeah. for bringing that to my attention. And if you would, post that link on our bulletin board system for other people to uh, to vet and take a look at, because I know our listeners are going to find that interesting. Can you do that? Sure, we'll do. Thanks Edward, appreciate hearing from you. Sir, 800-259-9231. I know I want to definitely poke around on it and see see how I feel about it cuz I like Mark Stevens uh, who's kind of sounds like he's got a bit of a they sound like they've got a somewhat similar approach to Mark Stevens, but uh, maybe maybe a mix of the two would be useful. Uh, Mark Stevens of course over at adventuresinlegalland.com. Just basically the idea is you don't go into the courtroom taking what they dish out. You go into the courtroom taking a strong stand on your principles and what you expect out of the trial. You ask questions, as he was pointing out, or file papers that essentially box the judge into a corner where the judge says, well, yeah, of course you're going to have a constitutional... Well, of course you'll have a fully informed jury. That way, when you finally bring up jury nullification, the judge can't say, whoa, you can't talk about that in here. Whoa, my jury needs to be informed, my Your judge, Honor. you said they'd be fully informed. I have it right here. You signed this document. More on the way. It's free talk lot. This is Free Talk Live. Only moments remain. You can still take control of the airwaves and bring up what you want. If you dial in toll-free at 800-259-9231, that's 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features, we give them away. that we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by, for instance, voting. For Free Talk Live. Head over to vote.freetalklive.com. Cast your vote for the show. Help us out because we're the in the top ten podcasts of the world, thanks to those of you who have voted so far this month. But the competition goes on uh, for the month-long period, so we still need to get those votes in. If you've yet to do it, head over now to vote.freetalklive.com. It makes a difference because the more votes we get, the longer we stay at the top of the charts. We're, at, I think, number three right now. But we could be number one if you would go and vote, maybe ask a friend or two to do it as well. Head over to vote free talk live.com as we go to the phones to the fun let's talk to eric in texas you're on free talk live with Ian and mark
10: hey guys how's hey, it going
0: hey, eric. Hey, man. great what's on your mind
10: i wanted to talk about ron paul but real quick uh thursday of last week you had a couple guys calling in who are worried about rfid chips and passports and such okay. and i just want to let them know that there's uh, a very simple fix that wired news published apparently you just take a hammer to it
0: Hmm. Yeah, I saw that like in the it's a, apparently it's in the back of the passport. If you yeah. if you get a passport this year as of the January 1st, they now all have RFID chips in it. Um, but, yeah, apparently you can find it if you, I guess, press on the pa- the back of the passport and then mm-hmm. just slap it with a hammer because everything else will leave impressions. Like if you put it in the microwave, that's going to make it look different. And if you if you burn it, they're going to know you've uh, tampered with it. But if you mm-hmm. slap it with a hammer, it's the simplest way to get rid of it, and they won't ever know you did anything.
1: Put some cloth over it so that you don't scuff it up with the hammer. That's a
0: good idea.
10: And I assume it would work for the credit cards that they're putting the chips in as well.
1: They might uh, go to whack. Yeah. Awesome. Uh,
10: but I wanted to talk about Ron Paul, and sure. when I first heard that he had announced his candidacy, uh, I just f- kind of felt, eh, he'll never get it. I mean, it, he's not the kind of candidate that the GOP would typically nominate. Right. But then it occurred to me, his timing couldn't be more perfect after the success, success of the first 1000 pledge.
0: Yeah, I really wonder if the Free State Project is a factor at all in his decision. And I think when he, if he does finally decide to run, he's exploring the idea right now, but if he does finally file and run for president, we'll have him on the show. And I want to ask him that question as to whether or not the Free State Project was a factor, considering New Hampshire will be one of the first two or three states where the primary occurs. Is he expecting that the Free State Project will rally behind him and help him win New Hampshire?
10: I mean, if he gets a... a, a... Big win in New Hampshire, I mean, that, that could really catapult his candidacy.
0: It really could. So You're absolutely right.
10: And uh, I, I'm just really excited to see that. Unfortunately, since I'm a registered libertarian, I wouldn't be able to vote for him in the primaries. But Well,
1: and um, there are no registered libertarians in uh, New Hampshire.
0: It's true. In fact, in New Hampshire, you can actually change your registration the day you go and vote. So, uh, or in the primary. So ah. when, so when we went in there, we were registered as undeclared. And you can go in and you can just say, okay, I'm going to be a Democrat today, or I'm going to be a Republican today. And you can actually choose which party's primary you want to vote in. I'll have to find out if I can do that here in Texas. Probably not, but sh- you should look into it. Yeah. Eric, well, any have, anything else on your mind? No, that was it. Thanks. Thank you, dude. We appreciate hearing from you. 800-259-9231. I packaging. would imagine
1: you could just fill out one of those voter forms and uh, change your um, registration just that quickly.
0: Does, it depends on where you live, man. I mean, some places you have to do it 30 days out. Remember, well, in Florida, you could not we're get We're 30 in...
1: days out right now from whatever election there's going to be. Oh,
0: yeah, I see what you're saying. Do it now. I thought you meant like the day of. In most states, you can't do that sort of stuff the right. day of. Uh, but in New Hampshire, you can. I think that's really cool. 800-259-9231. All right, Mark, let's jump into your email box. You've got a couple of uh, emails here, and hopefully we can get through at least one of them. Well, I've got a, um, a, a question from
1: Alexander, and... He says, if you were in college and had to take a class teaching you on how to regulate and why you should regulate industries, um, uh, this is my unfortunate situation. Just looking for some ideological advice um, that won't get me into bad terms with my professors, thanks. So clearly – What was the question? The question is – If you were in college and had to take classes teaching you on how to regulate and why you should regulate um, industries. That's Uh, not a question. Well, what can I tell you? Um, What would you do if? Oh, that's right. The the title of it is, what would you do if? If
0: I was in college and I had to take the class. I think that I would take the position of... Well, I don't. I'm not opposed to regulation if it's a voluntary process, if it's a third-party regulation. So maybe spin it like, yeah, businesses should be regulated, but they should be regulated by third parties like Consumer Reports, and it should be done on a voluntary basis. And they do a much basis. better
1: job. Right. Right. Well, I would take that test. That's really great, Ian. Yep. Um. I, I you, you, you did a lot better than me because yep. I would have just gone in and argued against um, government regulation the whole way through.
0: Right. Show that you show your teacher that you care about protecting people. Mm-hmm. And that if we allow the marketplace to regulate, then people will be better protected than they currently are. Show, much, uh, show how much more effective private
1: regulation is.
0: Yeah, do a, do a compare and contrast, and that might be a great you know, final paper or something like that, or, or a theme throughout the year, maybe focusing on, for instance, different industries – like uh, restaurants, a lot of people are concerned about getting sick from a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, focus on uh, even focus on maybe um, theoretical industries, or not so I mean not so theoretical in Nevada at least, but maybe prostitution. Show how even uh, voluntary regulation can clean up an industry like that. Mm-hmm. So that would be how I'd approach it. Really another email,
1: idea. Mark. Oh, I'm not going to get through that other one again. Oh, really? No way.
0: Oh. You got a I short one? That. Uh, no, I don't have a short one at all. So we can talk about the James Randi Prize. What you is that? Is? No. James Randi is uh, one of the most famous, I think, magicians. Now more, I think he's more now famous for his. Oh, this uh, is skept- the guy
1: that, that uh, talks about fake.
0: Um... His skeptic. Cha- he's a yeah, skeptic. skeptic uh, a yeah. world-renowned skeptic. If you're an undiscovered psychic, soothsayer, dowser, medium, or medium, time may be running out for you to put your supernatural powers to the test and claim a million-dollar prize. But you already knew that, didn't you? Ten years after stage magician and avowed skeptic James Randi first offered a seven-figure payday to anyone capable of demonstrating paranormal phenomenon under scientific scrutiny, the 79-year-old Clear-Eyed Curmudgeon is revising the rules of his nonprofit foundation's Million Dollar Challenge to better target high-profile charlatans and spend less time on unknown psychics who often turn out to be delusional instead of deceptive. He says, we can't waste the hundreds of hours that we spend every year on the nutcases out there. People who say they can fly by flapping their arms, says Randy. <laughs> we have three file drawers jam-packed with those collections. <laughs> there are over 300 claims that we have handled in detail. A skeptic since his teen years, Randy launched his challenge in 1964 after a growing outrage with fake mediums and fortune tellers using simple conjectures, uh, conjurer's tricks, to prey on the public. A challenge was an efficient alternative to trying to prove a negative. Instead of traveling the world investigating and debunking miracle workers one by one, an unclaimed cash prize stands as a fact on the ground, an immovable obstacle around anyone which, uh, around anyone purporting supernatural powers must eventually navigate. The challenge started small. He initially offered $1,000 of, of his own money to anyone who could read a mind or bend a spoon under controlled conditions. He later upped the ante to 10000 but that still didn't get a lot of takers. He said there wasn't much interest in 10000 and frankly, I couldn't afford more than that. Then in 1996, an unnamed donor contributed a million dollars to the cause. And today, the James Randi Educational Foundation, Education Foundation has an office in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and a small staff to keep pace with a steady stream of applicants, all supported by member contributions, grants, and the interest off the million bucks, which remains unclaimed. Currently, claiming the money takes a few steps. An initiate has to first submit a notarized application, agree with the foundation on a test protocol, then uh, pass a preliminary test administered by independent local investigators. Should the would-be psychic pass the first test, under an agreed-upon rules, all that remains is to repeat his or her success in front of James Randi. Then, poof, a psychic millionaire is born. In ten years, though, no one has passed the preliminary exam. Can you imagine, Mark? No, I I can't imagine. I mean, which,
1: absolutely, I can't imagine. There's, you know, all this. Most of the stuff is is
0: bunk. I which mean, psychic, though, wouldn't want to cash in and and prove to the world that he or she actually has the powers they claim to have? I mean, you would think that if uh,
1: they would be able to agree on some terms and come up with... I mean, if you know the extent of your powers, as it were, you'd be able to agree on some terms and come up with the uh, criteria and and pull it off two times in a row.
0: The most recent test was administered in Stockholm in October when Swedish medium Karina Landon tried to identify the gender of the authors of 20 diaries by touching the covers. She got 12 right. That's pretty good. 16 was the agreed-upon threshold for success. Uh, pretty good it's- a one, it's a one in two chance
1: oh, I thought that I'm sorry, I thought that she
0: guessed. gender, oh
1: gender, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> well, twelve is still better than average, I don't know about that. It is. Maybe it's if not. If it was 20, the average would be 10. Uh, that's a presumption on your part. No, the statistics on my part.
0: I don't know. Maybe you should run the run the numbers and find out for
1: sure. No, you guess one. Uh, you no, know, the, the numbers are if there's 20 and you guess... How uh, do you know
0: the average wouldn't be 11 or 12?
1: Because the average is... You're going to be wrong half the time Maybe if you it's won't. two chances. No, you won't. The, uh, that's statistics. Before that, the don't, last... Don't like are venture, in, don't venture Are you a statistician? Don't venture into Are you a statistician? Did you, I did took you take stati- statistics I in college? I took statistics in college. Oh, Yeah.
0: What do you want? <laughs> All right. You, you beat me on that one because I didn't. Okay. Well, it, it doesn't matter. I, it, it's simple statistics. But with guessing a one in two chance, there's still a chance that the average could be higher than 50%. There's no. still that chance. No. The, the, the average could be lower. Do you see? So, so that's could, why the average is lower. 10. All right. We're done for tonight. It's been Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us online in the meantime between now and tomorrow night's show. Online at PretalkLive.com. And there's a little bit more to the story about the, uh, the James Randi Foundation. Maybe we'll get into it. It's your show. Free Talk Live. See you tomorrow night.